Hey everyone, Lou Mavs here from the Music is Life podcast with a really important question. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get Music is Life off the ground, I had a lot of questions, such as how do I record an episode, how do I get my show into all the apps that people like to listen, and how do I make money from my podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is real simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. This means that you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. Since I started my YouTube channel, I've been able to edit the audio on iMovie and then bump it to Anchor and distribute it on the podcast to everybody. And I still use Anchor to record audio-only podcasts. So if you always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me, Lou Maz of the Music is Live podcast, and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Looking for new threads? Well, we've got you covered at the Music is Live podcast official merch store over at tpublic.com. Whether it's t-shirts, baseball tees, hoodies, coffee mugs, travel mugs, phone cases, or onesies for your infant rockers and metalheads, you can find everything you're looking for over at the Music is Live podcast merch store at tpublic. Go to my link tree at l-i-n-k-a-t-r dot e-e forward slash music is live podcast and get your merch today. Buy my stuff and thanks for your support. TerraNut is proud to offer you a natural nut bar chock full of healthy fats, minerals, and protein that meet your demands. Go to their website, www.terranut.com. You can order from them directly, and they will ship it to you. Use my coupon code, LUMAVS, and you will get a 25% discount on your first order. TerraNut Superfood Snacks, www.terranut.com. Don't forget to use coupon code, LUMAVS, at checkout. Fuel your life. Looking for some new podcasts to listen to? Well, look no further than the Ratsaw Review Network. Ratsaw Review is taking over the podcast world with plenty of shows to choose from within their network of entertaining programming, including the flagship show Ratsaw Review with Wayne Noon, Greg Noggle, and Lou Mavs, as well as occasional co-hosts Manny Mejias and James Lowquist. We also have the official Ratsaw Review spinoffs, such as Album vs. Album, Screams from the Grave, where we discuss beloved yet forgotten hard rock and metal albums of the past and a King Diamond podcast called This Broadcast Belongs to Them. We've also got Old Man Metal's Musings, The Right Opinion with Harrison Bergeron, Beyond Bushido, a podcast dedicated to pro wrestling and MMA with James Elquist and Eric Adams. No relation to the guy from Manowar or the mayor of New York City. The Vieira Vault with Ralph Vieira. Schmackle a gob! to you too, Ralph. The Timo Toki podcast featuring Stradivarius and Avalon founding member Timo Toki. The BS Sessions with Mark and Jerry. Just the cheese, please. A podcast dedicated to cheesy films of the 1980s with Tara J and Adam. The Friday Night Party with the great Harry Barnett and Evie. And the Music is Life podcast with Lou Mavs. The Rat Style Review Network is your go-to one-stop shop. You're listening to the Music is Life podcast with your host, Lou Mavs. On the Rat Style Review Network. Wait till they get a load of me. Why so serious?
I can't wait to show you my toys. <laughs> Music is Life podcast with your host, Lou Mavs, available exclusively on the Rat Style Review Network. And you can also find both my podcast and Rat Style Review on fine podcast platforms such as iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and much more. As I mentioned before, music is life. I hold true to the idea that all art is valid and that doesn't always include art from a musical standpoint. It also comes from cinema, comic books, and the entire gamut and platform of art in general. And me, I'm a huge comic book fan, having grown up a Batman fan, love the movies, love the animated series, the graphic novels, the comics. Batman's my guy. That's all I got to say. He has no superpower. He's just a rich kid with issues, as he so put it himself on an episode of Justice League. I'm a rich kid with issues. Lots of issues. But still, every great hero needs a great villain. And as everyone knows, the one villain most associated with Batman is the Joker. And in the past 31 years, there have been many actors to have portrayed this villain. And right now, I'm happy to say I have a roundtable discussion with two very dear friends of mine. Mr. Wayne Noon, the proprietor of the Rats Eye Review Network. Wayne, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Doing all right, thank you. <laughs> and also, I have a great professional wrestler from the East Coast, New York born and bred. You can catch him on the Hacker Hammond Network, where you can hear him on the Conspiracy Horseman. You can also hear him on the New Force Order, which is a Star Wars-based podcast. He is the current Ronin Heavyweight Wrestling Champion the current ICW heavyweight wrestling champion and the dynasty tag team wrestling champion and also has been a champion in the following promotions, New York wrestling connection, NWA cyberspace, NWA shockwave, Jersey championship wrestling, Jersey, all pro wrestling, USA pro wrestling, East coast wrestling association, and many other fine independent pro wrestling organizations throughout the world. And a purveyor of fine Greek foods being that his lineage is from the same Island as mine, which is Nisidos a fellow cinephile and comic book aficionado. He is the Greek god, Demetrius Papadon. Dimitri, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. That's one hell of an intro. I mean, I thought you were going to go through all my accolades. I was going to say this show is going to be very, 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 very long. <laughs> the uh, Conspiracy Horseman podcast is a free thought, always questioning the narrative, if you want to use the terminology, conspiracy theory podcast hosted by four professional wrestlers. We don't talk about wrestling. I mean, we'll take our pot shots at the business because we've earned it. We're all in it, which is myself, Ben Hanmin, Stevie Richards, and Big Sal Graziano. I am currently the Ronin Heavyweight Champion, the Alpha Championship Wrestling Heavyweight Champion. And when you said ICW, let's clarify because there's so many ICWs out there. Not ICW New York, correct? No, not ICW New York. Not yet, anyway. The Immortal Championship Wrestling heavyweight champion basically thanos collected infinity stones i'm collecting heavyweight championships so maybe uh, a tnt championship maybe in my dear future we never know i like that analogy thank you bring it to thanos that's pretty awesome but dimitri <laughs> all in all thank you for uh being on my show today really do appreciate it and wayne always good to see you my friend yes yeah, good to see you too i don't know do you actually know ggp yes we are very closely bonded we just found out really you know i've spoken to lou before in the past mm-hmm. and Unfortunately, 21 years of pro wrestling, CTE kicks in. You know, I tend to forget things left and right. So when he started mentioning Greece and then he mentioned his connections and who he knows and how he knows them and then I, my connections to the same family, mm. we're, we, 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 we are one degree of separation 
knowing each other. Well, we his, have spoken many times in the past. Yes, his godfather, God rest his soul, Teddy, his daughter is my mom's goddaughter. Holy shit, wow. So it's possible Dimitri and I ran into each other all these years, not knowing where each of us went, but now we're here. I just didn't want to break kayfabe and say, like, you know. <laughs> well, I didn't want to put your business out there. I can care less, man. Kayfabe's dead, but. Uh, I, I know, but I respect the art form of pro wrestling. Oh, thank you. But even pro wrestling aside, personal life, you know, I don't know if you wanted your business out there. So that's why I left me. it very vague in ger- general. You know what I mean? It's fine with me. But listen, just because I put Dimitri over doesn't mean I'm biased because. Even if I didn't know him, I would still be very proud of him for all his accolades because he earned oh, all thank of them. you. Thank you. I appreciate that, bro. No problem. Very cool. Are those all CDs behind you, bro? Yes. They God are. bless you. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Been a, lo- a long time collecting. Oh. Hey, I still buy Blu-rays. So do I. I still buy DVDs. So? And, and on the occasion of VHS. <laughs> it really you, has to be a good one. Well, I think the only VHS I have, to be honest with you, I have an old copy of Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back from when I was oh, a kid. Yeah, the originals, yeah. Uh, and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom from when I was a kid. Mm. And then a bunch of wrestling tapes that Jack Sabbath gave me for free. And I mean like a whole bin of VHS tapes, stuff that you won't see on the network and, you know, NWA, Mid-South, Puerto Rico, like real old cool that's stuff. Good. And I'm looking to convert all of that to DVD just, just so I could save some space though. Yeah, that's cool. Awesome. I still have a lot of my uh, Japanese videos on VHS. I still have the 1995 King of the Death match. You know, it's funny. Like, my father was a pro wrestling fan growing up, and he always told me his favorite wrestlers were Bruno San Martino, Dusty Rhodes, and Terry Funk. Awesome. And he had a special place in his heart for uh, Ivan Putsky, Polish Power. Those were his guys growing up. And he actually told me that he learned to speak English watching pro wrestling. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Did he use the word gimmick and kayfabe and brother much in the surprisingly, house? Surprisingly not. <laughs> it's funny that uh, Greeks, how much they love MMA and, and professional wrestling. I don't know if it's because we invented it or what, but we take a lot of pride in watching fighting arts. And uh, I'm pretty surprised. And I've brought this up to their attention many times to companies on national TV that they don't have a Greek wrestler on their roster, you know? I mean, it's just a story that writes itself, but I digress. Well, I mean, it's funny because like, I think of the two wrestlers that made it onto the platform, such as WWE and WCW. The one guy in WWE is probably Spiro Sarion, mm. and the one in WCW was Evan... I hate the fact that they Courageous? Evan Courageous. It's got a yes, for God's sakes. Give me a break. I met him. You know who was half Greek, believe it or not? I did a show with him, and, and uh, we were talking. Actually, is when we filmed the movie The Wrestler. He was one of the guys, and then he just bounced. Jim Powers. Oh, no Half way. Greek, half Italian. Yeah, yeah. I would have never guessed. Yeah. Who's, who's the wrestler that got you into wrestling? Uh, me? Yeah. Oh, man. Since I was young, I liked, uh, obviously, growing up in New York, I was a Hulkamaniac when I was really young. Mm-hmm. But I was a huge mark, huge mark for Jim Crockett Promotions NWA. They used to be here uh, in New York on uh, eleven on Channel Eleven at the mm-hmm. time. It was WPIX Saturday uh, mornings, eleven o'clock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And and I would watch it. I used to love Legion of Doom, love them, and Dusty Rhodes and all them. But the match that made me want to be a wrestler was Sting versus Flair, and it was a TV match on that program. Uh, on the WPIX. It wasn't their Class of the Champions match. It, it wasn't their uh, Bash the Beach match. It was 
just a regular TV match they had. And I just fell in love. And then Sting won the TV title against Mike Rotundo in under 10 minutes and allegedly 15 grand in a bag. And I went up to my mother and I said, I want to be a pro wrestler when I grow older. <laughs> she looked at me like the, like the mother and the father from my Christmas story. You know, you shoot your eye out, kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and they just, she's like, okay, go play with your toys. You know, I'm washing my dishes, you know, whatever she was doing or making dinner like Greek moms always do. The funny thing is my father would have been happier if I became a professional wrestler instead of a musician. <laughs> well, listen, man, it's all the same thing. It's all entertainment. You know what I mean? Musician, I actor, wrestler, porno star. It doesn't matter. It's all entertainment. Glad my wife didn't hear you say that. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with him because Sting was my favorite. Role. Oh, I was a huge Sting, Mark. Huge, huge, huge. Loved wow. Sting, hated Luger. My brother loved Luger. With the two moves of doom, give me a break. <laughs> but funny, we're talking about Sting, though, because at one point in TNA, he did develop a Joker persona. Oh, yeah. Good segue. Yes, absolutely. And that was great. I enjoyed it thoroughly. I got tired of uh, Crow Sting. I wanted him to go back to Surfer Sting. Who didn't? I, I love this, uh, the uh, Surfer Sting. I mean, he was wild. He was crazy. Um, he was more unpredictable than the Crow Sting after a while because, you know... You knew what to expect with them come down from the rafters or, you know, stare at you with a baseball bat. But definitely, I thought that the uh, Joker Sting was a uh, great variation of the character. Speaking of the Joker, this is the reason why we're doing this episode tonight is to talk about the, I think we can all agree, the best Batman villain. Mm -hmm. And the interpretation played by some of the finest actors who have played him in the past 31 years. Now, technically, we could talk about the greatness of Cesar Romero. We could talk about Mark Hamill. But obviously, talking about Mark Hamill, you're talking about an animated version of the Joker. And talking about Cesar Romero, you're talking about the more kid-friendly version of the Joker. I love them both. Having watched clips of the Arkham games and seeing how Mark Hamill brought his A-game up for those games to a point where he said, I can't do it anymore. The only way I'll come back is if they do the killing joke and they brought the killing joke to get him out of retirement. <laughs> Granted, the movie sucked. But he and Conroy were amazing in it, as always. But we are here to talk about the cinematic Jokers. The five <laughs> cinematic Jokers. Cesar Romero, yes. Jack Nicholson, Heath Ledger, Jared Leto, and uh, Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> little backstory on the 1966 Batman. Originally a series for ABC, produced by 20th Century Fox. They decided to shoot the film version, I think, before season one to see if it would go well as a test pilot. Instead, they went ahead with the season, saw that it was a hit, and released the movie to theaters. Are you doing this off the top of your head right now? <laughs> yes, I... Oh, Wait, how many times have I told you I had no life growing up? I know, man. <laughs> Cesar Romero, everybody remembers him as their first Joker. Yeah. Interesting trivia about him. The only Joker to have a mustache. He mm -hmm. would not shave his mustache. So he would just put the white paint over the mustache. Yeah. <laughs> That's how you know he's a boss. Oh, hell yeah. When, when they hire him and he's like, look, you got to shave your stash. Sorry. <laughs> nope. Ain't happening. Hell I don't no. think so. Okay. 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 <laughs> I loved his Joker because it was fun. It was entertaining. It was funny. It predated the Dark Knight Batman, as we know. So I think every kid who watched that growing up enjoyed it. Dimitri, your opinion on the Cesar Romero Joker? Oh, he was fantastic. 
He was my first Joker. Even though the whole show was campy and very cartoony for the children, I thought he did it to the best of his abilities and it was perfect. It was the embodiment of what comic books at the time were, embodiment of what Joker was, the clown prince. Nobody else, in my opinion, has played it to that level on that platform from all the other cinematic guys. They've all touched the Joker from a different point of view. His is the most original, most truest form to the comic at that time. No one else has come close. I mean, Nicholson, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second, but him, he's the, he's the OG. And I mean, let's face it, the guy was a pimp from what I heard in real life. And that laugh, you know, it was awesome. He has still one of the best laughs. Even though, I mean, if we are going to talk cinematic, there are animated Batman movies that have come out with Mark Hamill as the Joker, like we stated. The voice of the Joker in my head will always be Mark Hamill. I don't care who plays him. I don't care if Jesus Christ came down here and played him today. When I read something in the regarding the Joker, I hear Mark Hamill's voice. And when I hear Batman or I read something in Batman, I always hear the voice of uh, Kevin Conroy. It's embedded in my head. I agree with you to that point. I mean, I'm re- I've been reading up a lot of Batman graphic novels on DC Universe. And in my head, I'm hearing Hamill's Joker and Conroy's Batman. And which is, uh, let's see, I've already read the Dark Knight series, all, all three of them, Death in the Family. Now I'm reading White Knight, and I'm still reading it as Conroy and Hamill, pretty much ingrained in me. Wayne, your opinion <laughs> on Cesar Romero? Yeah, GVP's right. I mean, he's, he's the original one. He's, he's got the, the great laugh. We talked about the mustache. I mean, that, that's, that's just awesome that he just kept it in there. He's got the best hair, too. I mean, look at the hair. Yeah, can't front. I love even his suit, the, the purple suit that he wore. The thing I love the most about the Batman 66 and that Joker 66 is it's very colorful. I, I love like the colorful comics and stuff like that. That's just how he was. It, it was definitely know? symbolic of the time. Yeah. And having grown up watching it as a kid in the 80s, I mean, I didn't even think of it as dated. I mm. just thought of it as fun. Yeah. Like, it wasn't until Batman 89 where I started thinking, wow, Batman's really dark. Yeah, it got way too serious when it got to that, you know, that first real movie. Well, you can blame Frank Miller for that. (laughs) You guys rather the campy Batman than the dark Batman? No, I love the fail films. Oh, yeah, I do too. For me, and and I was a fan of the 89 Batman and Batman Returns. Disappointed with Batman Forever. Disgusted with Batman and Robin. And it's funny. I did not want to see Batman Begins in the theater. Because I'm like, oh, it's going to be another like Joel Schumacher butcher job. And my wife was the one who convinced me to go see it. I'm like, why do you want to see Batman Begins so badly? And she said, because the lead actor from Newsies is playing Batman. I'm like, this is going <laughs> to suck. I walked out thinking, that was amazing. Yeah. So finally, my faith in Batman was restored. Thanks to my wife. <laughs> my wife. <laughs> my wife. She's number one prostitute. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Aaron, I'm kidding. Anyways. Batman 66 ruined it for me because after when Michael Keaton took over Batman and um, uh, Jack Nicholson did Joker in that, you know, the first movie, I was I was expecting to see the colorful Batman and all that stuff. And then when it was all the dark stuff, I mean, it was a good movie. I, mean, I was just, We were just watching it the other night with my wife and she, she loves that freaking movie. I'm just like... It's okay, but wow. it, it's it's just too dark. I don't know. I'm not used to the dark Batman. You know, I'm used to the colorful Batman. Hey, but after, it's their own. Yeah, but after like when Christian Bale took it over, then then I really got into it because I, I didn't see the Batman Returns. I mean, I just it wasn't into it. Million dollar question: Greatest Batman of all time? I'm gonna have to do Adam West. Um, okay, <laughs> I, I'd have to go Bale. I'm picking Affleck. Really? He yeah, was I'm, actually he was good. He surprised me a lot in that movie. He was amazing. 
He was the only thing enjoyable. Him and uh, Gal Gadot of uh, Batman v Superman. I have to oh. give it to both of them. Yeah, he surprised me, and he fit, he fit that suit very well too. Yeah, and the, the new guy that they got from Twilight. I'm not. I'm not uh, feeling I don't that. Get it. Yeah, not yet. I'm not feeling that. I'm going to give him a chance, but right now, I mean, the cowl and the suit looks horrible. So yeah. don't forget what? when when Batman '89 came out, and people well, before when it was announced that Michael Keaton was playing Batman, there was such oh a yeah, horror. oh yeah, of course, Mister Mom, mm-hmm. of course. That Beetlejuice, like how the hell is yeah. Beetlejuice going to be Batman? And then he he ended up doing like a Beetlejuice type thing in the middle of the movie. I was just like, what the hell? I don't know if you remember that part. Yeah, yeah when he breaks the plate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny that we're talking about it now because now we're moving on to the next actor to play the Joker, Jack Nicholson, Mr. The Shining himself. And I actually posted something about it on uh, Facebook today. I said, yes, the Batman 89 Joker. Jack Nicholson as Jack Nicholson playing Jack Nicholson. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But... I thought it was a great interpretation of the character. You could definitely tell that they lifted parts from certain stories, certain elements of the character from The Dark Knight Returns and The Killing Joke. At the same time, though, Nicholson gave it his own twist by, well, just being himself. Mm. But to witness the evolution of the character and then borrowing from the killing joke for this worked really well and at the time you know you didn't have that many comic book films that it came out you had the four superman films you had supergirl and you had this other than that i really don't think there were any other comic book movies that came out prior to it 89 set the standard i think for comic book films to come out after that and jack nicholson i thought set the standard for comic book villains in terms of like how well he played it looking back thinking that the ideas of batman in the cinematic version are adam west and caesar romero as the joker and keaton and nicholson opened my horizons to wow this is a very interesting way to portray those characters Mm. agree couple things nick like you said nicholson played nicholson but i think nicholson accentuated to a certain degree what was left on the table from romero but altered it to the point where like you said he put a dark knight spin and a killing joke spin on it he played the gangster joker the, the one that was in the mob the jack napier right where we have just to skip a little bit in front we have uh heath ledger playing the anarchist and then we had jared leto playing the psycho Right, the psychotic one, and then we had uh, Joaquin Phoenix playing the mentally ill one. You know, so each one hit a different aspect of the character, a different layer, if you will. But in my opinion, Jack Nicholson's is very true to the original Joker, just like Cesar Romero's. I wouldn't say it was an imitation, but I would say it was an extension and an addition of it because you add your Nicholson flavor into it. But then he also portrayed that gangster side of the Joker, which we didn't see in the 66 Batman because he was more of the clown prince. He was, you know what I'm saying? And and to be honest with you, uh, when he was casted, I was a little annoyed. I'm like, wait a minute, Jack Nicholson, he's old. He's a big guy. Joker's skinny. He's frail. What's going on? This is going to suck. But lo and behold, he's the trendsetter where you have your heel in the movie, your heavy, outshine your top baby face, your top... Got uh, top billing in the film. Not even top billing. I mean, well-deserved. He was the bigger star, but his portrayal of the character outshined Batman's portrayal. You know, just like Heath Ledger's, in my opinion, outshine Christian yeah. Bale's. You know, and then Joaquin Phoenix obviously did what he did in his... won an Oscar doing his uh, portrayal of Joker. 
Now, Jared Leto, a lot of people hate. I liked it. I didn't like the imagery with all the tattoos and everything. But from what I heard, they left like 75% of what he filmed on the cutting room floor. So we didn't get a chance to compare. Yeah, if the Snyder Cut does well and it's well-received, they might do a David Ayer cut, just like they did a uh, Superman 2 Donner cut down the road, you know? A lot of people don't know they have. I mean, I think it was a Blu-ray edition special or whatever, and it's totally different from what we saw the original Superman 2. Who knows? Then maybe people could appreciate the Joker a little bit more. I mean, he looked like the Joker the most, in my opinion, out of all of them. You know, I think so. With the tattoos and then the... Uh, the without, without the tattoos. Without the tattoos. But his body frame, his facial... I couldn't get past the tattoos. I just Well, I agree with you. I, it kind of killed it. Even and though the, they the, did it in the comic book. I mean, I just... I didn't read that book, so it, I didn't really... It didn't click with me. And the silver teeth, from what I understand, is right. a backstory. Maybe it's a flashback scene they showed that they, they edited out about Batman knocked all his teeth out with a punch. That's why he had the silver grill on. But again, if you don't see it, just like, look, I'm a, you guys know I'm a big Star Wars Mark, yeah. right? These new sequel trilogy of Star Wars didn't speak well with each other as far as movie to movie. A lot of the stuff has been picked up in other forms of media, whether it's books, comic books, and they add to right. the, the movie the story. And- but not everybody's going to read the books. Right. So in my opinion, if you're going to put out movies, and you're going to have a story to tell, tell it all in front of the camera, from A to Z, from Alpha to Omega, and let everyone see it. And if you have to leave it, you know, then, then break out and put out shorts or something, or do an animated series or something where you can fill in the plot holes. Because, you know, just like BVS, they have the director's cut now. I haven't watched it yet. I but, it was pretty good. You know, the, the original BVS sucked. I was in the theater right then when I saw Batman flying up, you know, and it's, it was a dream. Right, I was like, the fuck is this shit? We don't another origin story? Like, you know what I mean? It sucks because there was so much potential. To me, BVS wasn't so much as a bad film. It was just disappointing. I mean, to me, BVS should have been a grand slam. It was a double. You know what I mean? Like, you got the two biggest superheroes of all time, Superman and Batman. Everyone knows them. And your film's not even going to break a billion bucks. Not two billion bucks. Like, this is the biggest movie of all time. Yeah. Did you know it should have been up there with Titanic and Episode Seven of Star Wars? You know, and, and Endgame, but it wasn't. I, but I do think the extended cut did it justice, though. I gotta watch it. Yeah, you know, I like the original one though. I, I hey, think it's man from Uncle Henry Cavill plays more Clark Kent than he does when he's Superman, right? So a lot of people were upset because of the darker tone. I was too. I liked Man of Steel to the ending. I thought the ending was bad. When he you comes know? off, yeah, Superman doesn't kill. I'm sorry, he's yeah. the Boy Scout. It was what it was. Now, is Henry Cavill a bad actor? Not by the long shot. If he played Superman and Clark Kent the way he played the man from Uncle, people would not be upset with anything, BVS or anything like that. They just should have just put it in that retrospect, in my opinion. But then I get to see Crisis on Infinite Earths, and we see Brandon Ruth get all jacked up and step back into the role. Whoa, he played Kingdom Come Superman, and... Lo and behold, he should just take over the reins of Superman, in my opinion, right now, and take off where Christopher Reeves left off, because he looked amazing. And he played a great Clark Kent. I just thought he was very tiny to be Superman in that lackluster film that that guy did. What's his name? Brian Singer. You know? That was a disappointment. It was very lackluster. I didn't like the way he made Lois Lane look like a hooker. But he's not a good guy, too, from what I hear behind the scenes in Hollywood. And now he's on the blacklist. Dimitri, everything you said about Jack Nicholson Joker being the gangster Joker, I agree with. What I liked most about his interpretation of the Joker was the fact that it reminds you like the old school mob, 
you know. Yeah, that's what I mean by gangster, not like West Side Blood or Crip. You know, like when I say gangster, I'm right. talking Capone. You know, Maybe like James Cagney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Wayne, your take, please. Oh God, uh, he was too old to be Joker <laughs> to me. Ageist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was a little bothered by that. Uh, and it was Jack Nicholson. I wasn't really. I didn't really didn't. I was young when this movie came out too. So I was like what, nine years old. So I really didn't even know who Jack Nicholson was. How old are you? So, uh, 40. Oh, you're old. I'm very old. Wayne, we're the same age. Shut up. <laughs> you're both a bunch of grandparents. <laughs> By the way, I'm 43. So, well, so there you go. I only knew Nicholson because I remember watching commercials <laughs> and billboard advertisements for the Witches of Eastwick when I was uh, <laughs> growing up in Astoria, Queens, taking the R train into Manhattan with my family and seeing the posters everywhere. And I saw this guy, like, in every, you know, that shitty grin of his in, like, every poster. So I was like, that's going to be the Joker? You know, like, huh? I'm like, I used to, Caesar Romero. I used to think it was the uh, the golf guy. Ah, nice. Necklace, yeah. Nice. I was like, nice. what the hell is well he doing played. playing the fucking Joker? That don't make any sense. I'm not touching that with the <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I just watched it the other night. I mean, he, is, he, he did a very good job doing Joker. And, um... Yeah, the, just the one problem. He was just too old for me, you know? I just didn't do nothing for me. <laughs> but well, if you think about it in the context of the film, though... It he's old anyway. Because, because right. Joker kills Batman's parents in the 89 movie. Right. And if you think about it, Bruce Wayne was 10. The he Joker was in 19. In 1989, Batman. Yeah, he did. Jack Napier. Oh, that was him that killed him. Yeah. Did you and see the, the movie? The young guy who shot him kind of looked like Jack Nicholson too, as well well casted. Yeah, right? okay. Looked like Jack Nicholson and Billy Idol's love child. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yes, that was supposed to be the young Joker that killed yeah. that okay. film. Just so I can add one two cents into I understand where you're coming from about the, the age thing, but because he's a mobster, maybe you should have said mobster, not gangster. Because he was a mobster. I let's look talking about but you know the the the, uh, the simpletons listen to the show. They might not know what I'm talking about. Also, so, <laughs> yeah. Hey, see, you got seven more viewers than the NFL, so you guys are doing well. Um, in the mob life, the most the, the the mob bosses and the captains are usually older in age because they got to pay their dues. They're seasoned, grizzled veterans. So it only makes sense that if he was in the mob, he couldn't be this hot shot fucking young you know, upstart because then he'd just be a soldier in the mob, not a captain or allegedly the boss's right hand man when he you're my number one, you know, and and, and like he says in the film. So it kind of fits the motif. But I agree with you. I mean I, I mean we're used to seeing slim, trim, anorexic looking yeah, clown prints. Just joker here, this little joker with the exactly you know chin and skinny body. Yeah. And then to see Jack Nicholson like, you know, a little chubby guy and well, anybody yeah. looks young playing next to Jack uh, Jack Palance. Well, look, look. I mean, when we think of Batman and we think of Joker, I think of I think of two people. I mean, I mean now three people after Jim Lee has did an incredible job of Batman. I think of Frank Miller. Well, first and foremost, Neil Adams. Neil Adams to me, when I see a drawing of Batman, that's my Batman. You know what I'm saying? And that's my Joker. And like you said, skinny Joker, long chin. Every Neil Adams. So that's the Joker I'm used to seeing. Not the old, puffy, you know, old man who needs a stunt double to do, you know, to do his falls. <laughs> right. So, but he, in my opinion, don't get me wrong, I'm not downplaying Jack Nicholson at all. No, I thought he did a good job. Did a fantastic job. Yeah. I just wish they would have picked somebody else. But I mean, who, who else really could they have picked at the time, you know? 
Funny thing is, Jack Nicholson said in an interview that he wasn't willing to play the role unless Tim Burton hired his friend Tracy Walter to be in the film. And Tracy Walter played Bob. Oh, uh, <laughs> the Joker's right hand man who he shoots right before the end of the film. Another, another little known fact that we brought up on the NFO last week. The, uh, the uh, was it Harvey Bullock? Was uh, was that the name of the guy? Uh, the crooked police guy that that Joker shot? No, that was uh, Eckhart. Was Eckhart, Eckhart, Eckhart. Yes, Bullock was the one in the cartoon. Sorry, mm-hmm. Eckhart. That's Porkins from Star Wars. Yes, it is. Oh, I got a problem here. Eject. I can hold it. Pull up. No, I'm all right. The one thing I hated about that Batman movie was the Prince music. What? I hate oh, Prince. electric chairs are my favorite. Oh, Prince dude, <laughs> I love that, dude. I loved it. It was just too corny. Prince music. Eh, it's the, it's the, it was 89, bro. I think I it added to the mystique of the film. I, I, I liked it. To, 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 quote, to quote what they used to say back in the day in, in Warner Brothers, we got us all Happy Meals. What are you going to do? You all right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. I know. Well, but anyways, fans, so. fast forward 19 years later is the next live action interpretation of the Joker. There was only one other version of the Joker in animated form that went to theaters, and that was Mark Hamill's in Mask of the Phantasm. And again, as Dimitri and I said, for most of us that grew up with the cartoon, the voice of Hamill is the voice of the Joker. Mm-hmm. But we're here to talk about the I've live never action. Even, never even seen that movie. The only one I did see that Hamill did was the uh, Killing Joke. <laughs> Terrible. My condolences. Um, <laughs> well, let's be frank. Not the entire movie sucked. I think the the oh, there was good parts. The beginning of the movie with Backer was was the the drizzling shits. I think no ex- exactly what took place from how the book starts to where the book ends yeah. and the movie starts as he's walking into Arkham. Right then and there, if that was the start of the movie, the movie would have been great. It would only be an hour long, but it would be great. Bruce Tim said it himself that. The reason why he put that 33 version of Batgirl story before the Killing Jokes star- officially starts is because he wanted to make Batgirl more of a tragic character. Meanwhile, it's like you completely downplayed her as some kind of sex crazed maniac in the film, which I thought was completely unfair to the character of Batgirl, Barbara Gordon. Totally. I think the greatest Joker line in that film is if I'm going to have a past, I want to make it multiple choice. I think it would have been better if they had either dealt more into the backstory of the Joker or given him that multiple choice background, that would have been a better film, in my opinion. Uh, Agreed. And, and the ending sucked too. It just like ended or something, didn't it? I don't know. I... It didn't give fans of the original graphic novel the same ending. It seemed like it just like left it open or something. It kind of left it open because at the end of the graphic novel, you don't know if Batman is strangling Joker. Yeah. Or what? You don't know what's going on because you're seeing Joker with his eyes bug-eyed and Batman laughing. It looks like he's strangling him. But they didn't do that in the film. I'm like, how could you how could you not do that? I I was waiting to see what they would have done at the end of the film, and I'm like, that went over like a wet fart in church. You know? <laughs> like what the hell happened there? Yeah. The Dark Knight animated adaptation I thought was done well. That is my favorite Batman animated film, hands down. Now, and, Wayne, have you ever seen the nineties cartoon series? Were you an avid watcher of that? Not really. 
Mm-hmm. It's the greatest that, cartoon series of the nineties. Even though eighties eighties cartoons are better than nineties cartoons, in my opinion. is that the, the Batman Beyond ones? Is that what you're talking? No, about? no, Batman Beyond fun. was ninety nine. The only wow. the only other cartoons I ever saw of, of Batman was when they went on Scooby Doo. Those were good. I got that on Blu-ray. I'm upstairs for my kids. Yeah. Well, thirty seven yeah, of them. Those are my favorite because they they're drawn really cool. Like like the comics and the colors are just like the comics. I like those. Major, our mutual friend George Carlino was a big fan of the Scooby Doo Batman stuff. It's my cousin, bro. Love him. Great Thank guy. You. Oh, sweetheart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Dark Knight Returns, that was great. That was Michael Emerson, and he did a sort of like a Paul Lind type version of it, which I thought was very original and very good. My second favorite animated Joker. Getting back to the live action ones, in 2008, we get The Dark Knight, which hands down, many people say, is the best Batman live action film. I didn't realize it was that long ago. It's 12 years old now, officially. Wow, and it was 19 years after Jack Nicholson played him. So here we have Heath Ledger, an Australian. I remember, again, similar controversy to when Nicholson played the Joker. Everyone's like, Heath Ledger? I was. You were one of the people that are like, what the hell were they thinking? Yeah, I'm like, how the hell are they getting this guy to play the Joker? I'm like, he doesn't even look like the Again, he don't look like the Joker. That's why when they went out, Jared Leto was playing the Joker. I got excited because he has a thin face. He just yeah. did that AIDS movie. It was him and the other dude with the curly hair from uh, McConaughey, Confu- right? yeah, McConaughey. He was all thinned out like a ju- like a junkie, and he looked perfect. I'm like, oh, that's a perfect casting for Joker, and he's a great actor. But I was wrong again. <laughs> well, I remember in the summer of 2007, they did the reveal of Heath Ledger as the Joker, and you see this guy in white powdered makeup with a Glasgow smile. And I'm like, what the fuck are they doing to the Joker? It was sheer horror and sheer excitement. I'm like, this is going to be good. And I was not disappointed. And the worst thing about it is the fact that the poor guy died before it was released. Never got to enjoy the fruits of his labor. Left behind a beautiful daughter, God rest his soul. A testament to his portrayal of the character that he won. And I'm not one who takes stock in the Oscars at all. Oh, he won one too for, for best, uh... best supporting actor. Yeah. Uh, well deserved. I thoroughly enjoyed it a lot. I thought he did his interpretation of the character of the Joker much justice. And again, you could see where they lifted elements of previous Batman comics, such as the killing joke, the multiple choice background, as well as some elements of the Dark Knight returns in there. Almost similar to the way the Joker killed Jason Todd in Death in the Family, the way he set up the possible deaths of Rachel Dawes and Harvey Dent, who later became Two-Face. To see Christopher Nolan pay that much attention to the history of the character of the Joker and involve that in the film The Dark Knight as a fan, I walked away very happy with it. Wayne, your take? It was the first Batman of uh, Christian Bale that I ever saw. And the only reason why, I didn't want to watch the other ones. I, I just want to watch the movies with the Joker in it. And that's why I went to go see this one. I was very happy with it. I was a little weird off. He had long hair. I'm like, why does the Joker have long hair? What am I missing from the comic books? You know, where'd that come from? And then uh, the other thing that bothered me when he was in the movie and he's talking about the scars on his face, when did the Joker ever consider those scars? You want to know how I got these scars? Well, again, you got to take into account Christopher Nolan wrote his Batman series the way a BBC murder mysteries would have uh, played out. So I think he tried to uh, write them with some kind of hint of realism. For example, if somebody actually fell into a vat of toxic waste, 
they wouldn't get their skin bleached white, they'd die. <laughs> so giving him the Glasgow smile and him painting it over with lipstick mm. is more realistic right. than that. Right. So that's probably what he was thinking. Yeah, Which guess, again, but, um, was an interesting take on it. Yeah, But yeah, he worked. I mean, he was very evil, which was really good. Made it made that movie probably the best Batman movie ever, I think. But was he really evil? Because there are a lot of websites out there that say that the Joker was the hero right, yeah. of the trilogy. Yeah, I can see that too. But he was just, he was very dark. He was darker than Jack Nicholson was, I think. Agreed. I'd say so. The things that he did, like when he put the people on the boat and he was going to blow up the boat and blow up the bridge and all this other stuff. It's like Jack Nicholson just want to give everybody an enema. This town needs an enema. You know, and then this guy wanted to like freaking blow people up. So yeah. needs an enemy. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I loved his portrayal of the Joker. Game winning, bottom of the ninth, three balls, two strikes, grand slam, game seven home run. MVP quality. Only reason because we said we had the clown prince and we had the mobster. What else are you gonna do about the Joker? Well, he changed it. He made him an anarchist. He took a different take on the Joker that felt so pure, so realistic, had so many layers to it. Yet, it fits into reality, right? No. Uh, you said, you know, he, some people consider him the, the, the hero. Well, good and evil is only a difference of point of view, you know? Just like good Jedi and the Sith, right? But I love the fact that he's an open book. Talks about how his dad gave him the scars. Then other people are, are insinuating that he's a military expert because of his knife throwing and knife expertise and the fact he blew up the hospital dressed as a nurse and that he was suffering from PTSD. There's so many theories. And I think that was done intentionally by Chris Nolan. Chris Nolan, in my opinion, is an amazing movie maker. One of my favorite films of all time. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Is, nope. The Prestige. Great movie. One of my favorites. One of my favorites, and Christian Bale's in that one too, with Scarlett Johansson and Hugh Jackman and Michael Caine. This movie, I thought, was one of the greatest comic book movies of all time. You know, it was up there to me as the greatest comic book movie of all time until Avengers came out. If you take Batman and you put him in present day and you have to make it realistic, how can you do it? Chris Nolan hit the nail right on the head. I think he just dropped the ball with the third movie. That was it. Well, the, the rumor behind that is apparently he wanted to come back for the third film but of course he passed away so he was scrimmaging how the hell am I going to complete this so it was the same problem with this film that I say was the same problem with Spider-Man 3 you put too many characters in one movie it kills it I mean think about it Hold on a second. You're telling me you didn't mark out for dancing goth Tobey Maguire? Moving right along. I like this <laughs> Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. I hate that fucking movie. Really? <laughs> Listen, uh, me being a fanboy of comics, me me drawing comic books, and obviously you see the McFarlane Spider-Man behind my shoulder. That's my favorite Spider-Man, by the way. Thank you. My favorite costume in all the comic history is the black Spider-Man suit, right? Uh -huh. yep. right? The fact that they made a movie about it and they took certain scenes out of the comic and, and brought it to life on screen, which was cool. But the fact that they didn't give that suit to Spider-Man, I thought killed the movie. The fact that they didn't book like a Brock Lesnar type of guy to play Eddie Brock right. killed the Venom character. You know, I'm not that Topher Grace did a bad job, but I mean, come on now. Look in my it, it wasn't, it wasn't the right guy. It, like, I mean, there were a lot of freaking people and, you know, they put 
10 pounds of shit in a five pound bag in that movie. I just think the last movie I thought, as far as the Nolan trilogy goes, I mean, supposedly he filmed some scenes from that he didn't use in two. They were talking about using it in Arkham and three. I just thought it was all over the place. Like, too many plot holes. Some Batman hasn't been Batman for a certain amount of years. Some guy shows up at his door, says, Hey, I know you're Batman. How did you figure it out? Okay, you're right. Now fuck off. You know, <laughs> come on. Like, like, it just did it. It just felt like, yeah, fuck, I'm contractually obligated to put out a good movie. I can only do so much with my with, with what I got. Number one, number two were tens out of tens. This movie was like a six and a half for me, maybe a seven, if that high. It is what it is. It's funny because I really thought X Men Two in two thousand three was Marvel hitting a uh, a watermark. Oh yeah, and then like after that was a slew of really bad films. Then DC bounced back with Batman Begins, and then it was another slew of bad films until Iron Man came out, and then it said, "Ah, there's hope." And then Dark Knight, I felt revamped that hope for a good comic book film. 2012 was the year of Avengers versus The Dark Knight Rises. Avengers won the war that year for Marvel. Still can't take away from the greatness that was The Dark Knight and Heath Ledger's performance as the Joker. He made the film. Oh, absolutely. He made the film. Absolutely. Do you think that movie could have done better without Bane in it? Do I think Dark Knight Rises would have been better without Bane? Yeah. I think it should have just been a Bane-Batman film. Yeah, I, I do too. Because I mean, it, no offense, it added like like it did with, like we were just talking about with the uh, Spider-Man movie, just too much stuff into one movie when they could have just focused on the Joker and Batman. Yeah, they could have done Nightfall. Yeah, you know, they could have done Nightfall. Yeah, they could have focused back, Batman's back, and like they did in the movie. Yeah, and they could have had something like maybe in the beginning of the movie you have a young Robin, and then Bane shows up, breaks Batman's back, and it's an older actor playing Robin <laughs> on the on the cusp of becoming Nightwing, yeah. and he and then he takes the mantle. And then Batman coaches him to defeat Bane. And then maybe it didn't work. And he has to suit up one last time and take Bane out to save Gotham. And then passes the mantle on to Dick Grayson as, as, as Batman. Who knows? Instead of Azrael. You know what I mean? They could twist yeah. it like that. So who knows? But they did it. So whatever. Yeah, it's easy to play armchair quarterback. And I'm guilty of that as well, of saying that, you know, like Nolan could have done such a better job. But the truth is, I think he was really depending on having Heath Ledger in that third film. And if he wasn't a film, it would have been a better film. I definitely. I'll, t- so. I'll tell you one thing. One of the best spots in, in that that movie was it looks like Joey, like he, like the Joker was going to fall to his death, like in '89, and mm-hmm. Batman grabs him for that false finish. Everybody in the oh, theater, yeah, including yeah. myself, was like, "Not again!" Oh, oh, he's alive! Yeah. And that's when I did my Eddie Murphy impersonation. Aha! Aha! What do you know from funny, you bastard? Uh, now it's moving on to Jared Leto. Dimitri, I'm going to let you go first because you praise the character. <laughs> look, Jared Leto had the look. He had the look minus the tattoos and the, and the silver teeth, right? The tattoos looked okay, but I would have seen Joker henchmen who worked from Rockdoll's tattoos rather than Joker. I understand what they were trying to do, try to make him a little new age. There are even theories that it was really Jason Todd being the Joker. That's why he had the J and the damage tattooed on his head. Those never came to fruition. Who knows? My opinion, he did play the psychopath well. I just think that we can't compare apples and oranges. We have a whole film with Nicholson. We have a whole TV series with Romero. We have a whole TV series voiced by Hamill and movies. And we have a whole movie done remarkably well on a different take by Heath Ledger. And then we get this guy in cameo appearances sporadically throughout the movie as the Joker 
to where 70, 80% of what he shot was left on the cutting room floor. So we're comparing to maybe, what, 20 minutes of film time? I was going to say, how long was he possibly in that movie? Minutes. Yeah, Tops, was- not even. You can't compare. It's I hard mean, to judge what, how good of a new Joker he could have been because he barely was in the movie. Yeah. Exactly. And to me, it was a slap in the face if you asked me when they cast a Joaquin Phoenix to play the Joker. Not a slap in the face to the fans, but to Jared Leto, because he didn't get a chance to get his movie in and, you know, live through the echelons of history as great actors to take over that character. So he's always looked at as the black sheep or the black stain of, the, uh, of everybody on that list. Not saying Joaquin Phoenix did a bad job, though Joaquin Phoenix did a great job. As far as Jared Leto did, He's the most accurate-looking Joker, minus the tattoos, as far as height, body-wise, body wise, and all that stuff. I kind of like the fact he was wearing a black leather—I mean, a purple leather raincoat—and I kind of liked him in the in the tuxedo, you know, when he was trying to save Harley Quinn. But again, there's not enough meat on the bone to 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 make an, uh, a good, valid analysis with this thing, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to see that extra added uh, footage that they have, like that we were talking about earlier, if that ever comes can. out. Yeah, I, I definitely want to see it because it was, like we said, it was just not enough in there to judge how actually good he could have been. You know, Absolutely. I, it was just too gangster for me. It, it, just, it was just weird. But if I, I saw more of it, maybe I would have got into it more. I called him emo gangster Joker yeah. <laughs> yeah, on Facebook just... many years ago. <laughs> Let me ask you this, though. Are either of you guys fans of the series Gotham? I was till the I last was... episode, till the last season. Yeah, the last too. season, okay. Did you like Cameron Monaghan's? Um, yes. Absolutely. Yeah, awesome. That was one of the high spots and one of the high best things out of all of it. The fact that he ended up playing two different characters mm-hmm. when you first thought it was a Joker, then they, they tricked you as a false yeah. finish. Then they brought him back as his twin. Spoiler alert, everybody. I just did not like the last episode. The last episode they made Penguin and Riddler like Laurel and Hardy. You know what I mean? Like comic relief. Mm-hmm. You know, they, 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 they sped up to the future. It was stupid. They finished the I, and to, the guy who played the penguin, I thought did a fantastic job. Yeah, and if you think yeah. about it physically, Cameron Monaghan does physically look like a Joker, the skinny, you know. Yeah, it, um, yeah. and he played him very well. It had a really good laugh too. I mean, he did oh yeah, you know. So I, I, I like the fact he cut his face off like the Scott Snyder, like he did yeah. in his run, yeah. stuff like that. Glad that we got to see that version of the Joker in some medium. That was impressive, and it was even more impressive the fact that they were even able to do it on a network television show. Yeah. yeah, I was hoping they would put him in the, into a movie, but for some reason, they just don't put the good actors that are on the TV shows into the movies. No, but they do you know? put decent actors <laughs> in the movies into the TV shows, like uh, yeah. and Ralph on, yeah. uh, in the Crisis on Two, on, uh, two Earths. That was pretty yeah. cool. You know, enough for nothing, the, the Gotham thing, you know, no one thought it was going to work, but they made it work, you know, and I thought, it, I thought it was done well. The acting in it was done well for all the characters. The only character I wasn't really too cool on was the uh, Fish Mooney? Yeah, Jade, no, no, Jada Pinkett Smith character, yeah. Fish Mooney, and I laugh every time I hear that name because I don't know how many Greek listeners you have out there, but the word Mooney in Greek means vagina. Good night, everybody. I mean, think about that. And, and when you're calling it Fish Mooney, you know, it's just like, come on, it has to be a Greek guy writing this up in the back, you know, ribbing everybody about it. <laughs> I'll never watch it the same way now, Demetrius. Thank you. This, baby, the superior Greek brain. Genius. Genius, genius, genius. Fuck you, Maraca! Now I'm thinking back to my old school ECW days when Francine would come out and we yell out, I smell fish. I nice. smell fish. <laughs> oh, and, and the other thing I didn't like was the, the Barbara Gordon thing. When Oh, you mean the wife of yeah. Jim Gordon? Well, that was, yeah, yeah, yeah. The wife of Jim Gordon? Yeah, because Barbara Keene 
was Barbara uh, Keen, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah, I get it. Yeah, and then they she left him. Yeah, left him and turned him, turned her into the psychopathic guy. But she wasn't Barbara Gordon. She was just Barbara Keen. This is true. They were only engaged. They were only engaged. I really liked his uh, interpretation of the Joker. Manahans, not Leto's. But I am willing to give the Ayer director cut a chance. If it comes out. If it comes out. If it does come out, again, this all depends on the success of Justice League, the Snyder Cut. So. Well, I was watching the movie Suicide Squad with my kid the other day, and I had it on Blu-ray, and I, I finally opened it. And there was an extended edition. We watching it later. I fell asleep like I always do. She liked it. I told her, I said, the movie is good up to the third act. Then it falls apart when you have the dancing witch, where she's dancing in front of the Ghostbuster building with all that nonsense going on. you know. But then I look at the premise of the movie. Though They're like, what if we get team of superhuman individuals to fight a superhuman okay nobody on the team was superhuman deadshot's not a superhuman right captain boomerang wasn't superhuman harley quinn wasn't superhuman killer croc is not superhuman right i don't think he is the katana chick from the outsider is not superhuman general flag's not superhuman so i'm like the premise of the whole movie is wrong the main villain of the movie should have just been the joker then it would have been a just better, you know, a great film because then you put the one of the lead characters in such a rock and a hard place position where you have she has to decide whether to go with pudding, Mister J, or her freedom and work some years off her sentence with the team of I guess family she now adopted in the Suicide Squad. I thought it would have made a much better movie, but yeah. what do I what do I know? Right? I will say this though: the Suicide Squad definitely cemented Margot Robbie as an iconic actress now in the comic book oh yeah live action field <laughs> well look she she was she was on Wolf of Wall Street she did a great job on Wolf of Wall did. Street she I think that was, she faked a Brooklyn accent so perfectly I oh, yeah. was sold but I thought Will Smith did a fantastic job as as Deadshot yeah yeah. yeah, so it was, I mean, whatever. Hopefully, yeah, they, the movie they, itself, it was good. It's just the Joker parts are just like, that's it, you know? thing I'm going to take away from this is I'm definitely going to give it a shot if they do release it. So moving on to the final film incarnation of the Joker done by Joaquin Phoenix. Now, this was completely different from every other interpretation because this actually showed the Joker as a sympathetic, I don't know if this is the PC term or not, but fuck it, I'm going to say it anyways, mental patient. This is... 1980s New York City, we're talking, sorry, Gotham City, which <laughs> it was shot in the South Bronx and some other areas around there. Wasn't it late 70s? I thought it was yeah. late 70s. You could be right. Early 80s, I don't remember. No, it was, I think it was 80 or 81 because if you look, there's a, there's a scene where they're shooting outside of a movie theater and it was some film. It might have been Maniac, uh, the Joe Spinell film, and that came out in 80-81. And I think that was the name on the marquee. Again, these are stupid things that I noticed in films. I can't help it. So at that time, New York City was still getting over the riots of 77. It was nowhere near the upswing that it would come to in the, in the Giuliani era. So there was, uh, it was, it was crime ridden. It was trash infested. So it looked, Gotham City in 81 looked like New York City in 81. So there's that authenticity there. You're seeing Arthur Fleck's character go for his medicine from a social worker. Just the way that the setting was, or the film made it feel more realistic than I would say Ledger's interpretation of the Joker because he was a character who did have mental issues and was trying to fix them. And you see the struggles that he goes through on a daily basis till by the end of the film, he just snaps. 
the funny thing is, this is the first time that I ever heard the Joker be referred to as an anti-hero, not as an agent of chaos, not as a villain, not as an anarchist, but as an anti, a sympathetic anti-hero. The biggest question that I'm asked is, whose version of the Joker do you like better, Ledger's or Phoenix? And the truth is, I don't think you could compare. It's the same characters, but it's completely different interpretations, and both work well for their films. Agreed. You can't, in my opinion, you can't compare any any of the actors' portrayal of, of the Joker. Nicholson's to Leto to Ledger to Joaquin Phoenix to Romero's. You know, you can't, or even to the kid like we were in Monaghan. None of them. They all hit a different aspect of the Joker. The Joker, as we know from the comic books, is a very convoluted character. Like he says, my, my origin is multiple choice, right? There's many layers to him. There's many different scenarios. There's many different Elseworlds. Uh, storylines, whatever the case may be, but you can't really compare because each movie, it's like it's like being a ring general in wrestling. For me to explain this pro- properly to whoever's listening, you get in the ring. If the crowd wants to see A, B, and C, you got to deliver A, B, and C. And usually, the heel, the villain, is the lead or, or is the uh, ring general in the match, controlling the flow in, of the match. And when we do that, we have to feed off the crowd and give them what they want, the A, B, and C. If you have X, Y, Z plan and you go out there and give them X, Y, Z when they want A, B, and C, you're kind of basically pissing in the wind. They're not going to come back and buy a ticket for the next show. Wrestling, even though it's not acting, it's reacting. It's almost the same thing because we had Batman 89, where it was all underworld mobster. So Joker had to be a mobster. We had Batman 66, can't be cartoon clown prince. And then we had the realism of Heath Ledger's Joker being an anarchist, you know, thinking different take on it, but it fit the mold. Each mold that the movie represents, in my opinion, and the surroundings that the movie presents, these joke, the Joker has to adapt to it. You know what I'm saying? So that's why each one is different. To me, I mean, if, I, if you don't mind me going first, the Joaquin Phoenix Joker was good. A little overhyped, in my opinion. The whole film was overhyped, in my opinion. It was a good film. Because, I'll tell you why, the movie isn't about the Joker. The movie loses itself within itself, and it becomes a movie about mental illness. Right. And even even at the end, when he's sitting there laughing as he's talking to the, to the lady, and she goes, what's so funny? I'm just thinking about a joke. You wouldn't understand. You wouldn't get it. Now people are saying the whole movie was just him thinking about what happened. That was a joke he was talking about, and none of it happened. So who knows if that's a scenario? Who knows what we saw was what we saw? Because when we saw Domino, the chick from Deadpool, I forgot her name, plays Zazie Beats, plays girlfriend, and then we find out that she never really Yeah. It's like, wait a minute. That's a seed in the pond. They're dropping in the beginning. that may lead to something that needs to pay off later on. And it never really paid off because we don't find out if we killed her or a kid. And then later on, the only thing that happens is he's sitting there. He doesn't have his white makeup on, right? His hair isn't green anymore. He's sitting in a mental asylum. So the whole thing could have just been a crazy dream or a thought process or a joke he's telling himself because he's crazy. So it kind of loses himself. His portrayal of a mentally ill patient who put clown makeup on and called himself the Joker it's fantastic. He played it great. But you could have called the freaking movie Scuba Steve. Or you could have called the movie Nacho fucking Libre. And it still would have been as good. Because it wasn't really about the Joker. It was just about a mentally ill individual who happened to wear clown makeup. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, interesting take. You know, it's, it's a different take. 
but at the same time, it loses itself. It's not a comic book movie. It's a movie about mental illness, in my opinion. And it's a great movie. It's a good movie, but it's not Joker. It's like if you want to go eat vanilla ice cream, you're going to go get vanilla ice cream. But if there's honey in it, chocolate in it, strawberry in it, not vanilla ice cream. It's not vanilla ice cream. It's just ice cream. You know what I mean? So it's like if you want to go see a wrestling match and you go there and they're doing thumb wrestling and sumo wrestling in the ring or Greco-Roman wrestling, it's not pro wrestling. You know, it just, whatever it is. Anything about deathmatch wrestling. You just ruined my all time favorite movie. (laughs) No, I'm not. Look, that's just my opinion. Look, I I, like, again, I, I liked it. I liked the movie. Everyone was saying like it was the second coming of Jesus. Like it was so disturbed. It it's was. not disturbed. It, is. it was. You ever see Faces of Death, bro? That's disturbed. No, I didn't want to watch that. Okay. I, yeah. I, I know about those. No. I, Wayne and I had a discussion about the movie Hannibal <laughs> Cannibal, Holocaust. Can- and he was Hannibal like, Holocaust? What, what? Yes, Hannibal Holocaust. <laughs> and he asked me, what the fuck on God's green earth would make you watch it? And I told him, sheer intrigue, you know? Well, put it this way. You ever just see two dogs having sex on the side of the road? I see my dog hump his pillow bed. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying, like, you walk by the first, holy shit, so that's what two dogs having sex looks like. You walk by the third, fifth time, it's already watered down in your mind. So watching this film again, second, third, tenth time, it gets watered down. The appeal, in my opinion, gets watered down because you went in there expecting to see a Joker film. You got there, and at the end of the film, if you really pay attention, it's more about mental illness than it is the Joker. Joaquin Phoenix could have been anybody in that film. All he was was a psychotic killer with clown makeup on. We've seen that in it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But instead of it being a demon, it was a mentally ill patient. The movie was good for what it was, as in, as a standalone Elseworld film to try to give some, in my opinion, some credibility and a different layer to the Joker. Yeah, but it's not my Joker. You know, it's, it's not the Joker that I'm used to. I'm glad you said Elseworlds because a lot of people who consider themselves fans of the character, the Joker, but have never read the comics, they don't understand what Elseworlds is. And basically, it's the DC multiverse. Us being fans of, the, of, of comic books, like we understand that, but people who aren't, you have to understand that. We're not guys who just picked up comic books yesterday after having watched Dark Knight or Batman Begins or whatever and say, we're fans. Like We grew up fans of the comics first. It's you knuckleheads that go to Comic-Con and cosplay that are ruining it for everybody else. And you don't even know what the hell you're talking about when you say that you're a fan. You get what you fucking deserve! Now, Wayne, is this in fact your favorite film? Yeah, I think so. And when I saw this in the movie theater, I was just like blown away at just how good it was. Listen, I was blown away too, but I blown I was blown away for different reasons. I thought it was a good film. I wasn't Great blown away story because- line. Yeah, a great story great storyline, but I but I wasn't blown away because it was a good Joker film. You know what I'm saying? That that the character could have just been John Smith and put it on a clown. That's what I'm saying. It lo- the Joker itself, he loses that Joker identity to what causes him to be the Joker in the film, and that's just a good fucking film about mental illness. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. I, I totally get it. But you're not wrong for being your favorite movie. Sorry, Lou. You're not wrong to be your your, your favorite movie. I'm not one of these guys that that that. that gets on a soapbox and says what I think is right, what you think is wrong. No, if you don't agree not. with me, we can't be friends. Not at all. Like my favorite Star Wars film is the original 1980 version of Empire Strikes Back. But I could say that having seen the original trilogy, the prequels and the sequels, yeah, the sequel trilogy, 
having seen all of them, I could say Empire is my favorite film. So to me, it is the best film, but I'm speaking strictly for myself. I'm not speaking for anybody else. The reason why I love the Joker film so much is that it reminded me of three of my favorite movies, all kind of rolled into one. The one I mentioned before, which was Maniac with Joe Spinell, directed by William Lustig, a 1980 slasher film. It reminded me of that mixed with Taxi Driver, mixed with another Scorsese film called The King of Comedy. In that film, it's De Niro playing the Joker role. In this case, De Niro and the Joker is playing the Jerry Lewis role, where he's the talk show host. And you want to talk about a film about mental illness, I can't think of a better film than The King of Comedy, other than The Joker. So you combine the three of them, and then, you, like you said, Dimitri, you put a guy in white clown face, and you have a very good standalone Elseworlds Joker film. In my opinion, it was a combination of those three films. i never seen that taxi driver. I really got to see it. Because everybody, every, everybody compares it to Joker. I, I got to see it. Well, you got to think about it like, like this. The grittiness of Taxi Driver. Again, it's 1975, 1976, New York. Right before the riots broke out. Right when New York was in the midst of Times Square pornographic you know, like hooker on every street, you know, show world taking up the entire 8th Avenue city. The good old days. The good old days, exactly. Just kidding. So, (laughs) you know, 25 cent peep show. So that's what Taxi Driver, that's the New York that it represented. It was hopeless. Think about the New York hardcore scene that came up in the 80s. It was a result of that hopelessness. That's the Ramones, right? The Ramones were the 80s? Oh, that was, they were no, 70s. Ramones were 70s, actually. That was, that was the CBGB's era of punk. I grew up a fan of the 80s CBGB's era of hardcore, so bands like Agnostic Front and Carnivore and things like that. I and mean, I love the Ramones, don't get me wrong. To me, the first punk band ever. But you know, I grew up more of a fan of the hardcore scene than, than the punk scene. If you combine that and you combine the tragic characters in the film, King of Comedy, mixed with the gritty serial killer realness of maniac that's what i was thinking as i was watching this film my wife to her credit said you know what do you want to do for your birthday and i said i want to go see the joker film so my in-laws watched my daughter we went to the movies before covid we got to enjoy it and we were both like you know the scene where he shoots robert de niro in the film she was like why didn't you warn me that was going to happen i said i didn't know that was going to happen <laughs> i could not see that coming come on i i didn't but the build-up to that was Perfect. That, yeah, oh, yeah. it was. And that's why I think that movie was just so awesome. And if you think about it, it is an exact, not an exact lift, but you could tell that the Dark Knight Returns, the scene where Joker goes with Dr. Wolper on the David Endocrine show and kills everyone on that, it's similar to that. Again, I think Todd Phillips lifted from that scene in that, in that graphic novel for this film. But that was probably the only time... I, in the entire film where I thought anything was lifted from a previous Joker story. Agreed. Well said. Also, the uh, other parts I like in that movie, when the, the midget comes in with the other I don't even know what the other guy's name was. The Listen, way. the other guy's a good actor. He's the, he's the lawyer from Billions. Nah, I've never seen that either. I'm Bill- terrible with movies. No, no. Billions is a TV show that you should watch on, uh, on Showtime. Very, very good TV show. Right. Billions. I'm trying to remember that. But uh, yeah, when he, he let the midget go, or he wasn't yeah, I, going and he's shooting like that. Oh, nice. But that I didn't expect that, you know? Gary? Yeah. You were the only one that was ever nice to me. 
just shit like that was just fucking hilarious. So. Oh, I thought, and then he couldn't get out because the lock was too high. Yeah, the lock was too high. Yeah. <laughs> There's just so many funny things, and and I like the mental illness thing because you know I got some family members that deal with mental illness, and so it was a little bit you know realistic for me, or you know a, a real topic you know for a lot of people. Uh, it was just cool to see somebody actually. I mean, it's, it's sad to see somebody snap to that point where they you know do what they do, but uh, it, it was just very interesting. No, yeah, I was just about to say that. It, listen, that could be any one of us. All you need is one yeah. bad day. That's it. One bad day, you know, and just like that that Kirk Douglas movie. No, is it Michael Douglas? Kirk Douglas falling down? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Was, yeah. I, I seen that one. See? So, <laughs> look. Directed by Joel Schumacher. Joel, rest in peace. But what the fuck were you thinking with Batman Forever? After listen, down? Schumacher made Lost Boys, bro. He made Phone Booth. He's a good director. Just those two movies were influenced by the studios to sell Happy Meals. He had no choice. Listen, when they're paying you a lot of Scott Hall to direct, and they say, hey, look, this is what we want. Here's your check for you know millions upon millions of dollars. What are you going to say? No, artist integrity? Uh, no, nah, I'll take it. You know, <laughs> Give me the money. I got to buy a new beach house in Malibu, and you know, hookers and coke ain't cheap. Got to do what I got to do. The movie itself, Tom, Todd Phillips did a, a fantastic job, right? I thought he did directed a great film. I don't think they should do a sequel. I think they should leave it the way it is. And it'll, it will definitely stand the test of time. And it, and it's an homage that you said to Taxi Driver, King of Comedy. I believe Scorsese was supposed to be producer of the film. I don't know if he bowed out or whatever. To me, like I said, it's a good film about mental illness. And, you know, any one of us can snap whenever, just like the character. It just, to me, wasn't a movie about the Joker. It was just a movie about mental illness. Does it make it a bad film? No, not at all. Did uh, Joaquin Phoenix not portray the Joker in the right light? No, he portrayed in a great light because that's the story they were telling, you know? So, you know, it, it is what it is. But again, everyone's entitled to their opinion. And I hope I didn't mess it up, you know? I mean, it's your, still your favorite film. Great. It's still uh, my favorite film. I'm not going to let you get to me that bad. So, I'm not trying to get to you. <laughs> I, I, just, I feel bad. I feel like a heel now. I wasn't no. trying to. Oh, well, you are a heel, so it's all right. Well, I know, but, you know, that's only, that's <laughs> no, only when I, I get let, paid. I don't let him. <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't let nothing get to me. Yeah, no, I'm, so I'm, I'm, listen, we all we all have guilty pleasures in life. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like my one of my guilty pleasures is Chinese Democracy. Oh my god, the title track of Chinese Democracy is. is one of their best tracks. Like I love the sh- uh, there's a couple of tracks on there I really really love. Uh, I forgot the name of IRS. I think is one of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Madagascar is a good one too. Yeah, there's a couple of tracks, and I'm like, it's is it the Guns N' Roses that I grew up with that I am infatuated with? No. Nice. Are they great songs and they're called GNR? Fuck it, it's Axel. I'll take it. You know what I mean? So, and that actually reminds me, you were supposed to come on my show to talk. About yes, the last yes, Oscar. and we still do it. <laughs> Nobody cares about that anymore. Well, whatever. We can't what? still do it though. What's the discussion? The last uh, Ozzy album. Ozzy album. <laughs> you didn't like it. What? out of here guy crazy dude listen you gotta understand randy rhodes is my hero randy rhodes is the reason why of all the guitar players out there he's the reason more than tony iomi and more than eddie van halen why i picked up the guitar he created the two best albums in my opinion with ozzy the stuff that ozzy did with jakey lee was great the stuff that he did with Zach Wild, there was some good in there. I'll take Jake over Zach Wild any day, but I'll take Randy over all of it. Now I'm not expecting Ozzy to create 
anything comparable to what he did in 1980 and 1981. But I just didn't enjoy it. Oh, After I four it. songs, I was like, I can't. The only song I actually liked on that was the one that he did with uh, what the hell's that rapper? I just had it in my head and I lost it. Post Malone. Post Malone, he had it there. That was a good song. Third looking guy. That was the only song I liked that. Well, listen, man. And don't get me wrong. I love hip hop. I mean, in the 90s, I grew up a friggin' fan of Dr. Dre and and Onyx. You know? So I I do love hip hop. Actually, I saw Onyx live. I've never been to a concert ever in my life. When did I see Onyx? Saw him live on Bell Boulevard in a teen club. I forgot the name of the teen club on Bell Boulevard that they had, but Onyx was performing there. We went, we and my, my friends and I all went there. And my dad was like, God rest his soul. My dad's like, look, you need to be out of the club by a certain time. And then I'll, we'll bring you guys home. Well, that certain time came and went. Onyx didn't go on yet. Then they go on. And uh, they're playing. I'm like, guys, we got to bounce. My dad's outside. He's going to kick my ass. And then they're like, no, man, Onyx is on. So they did their set, and then I turn around, and I see my dad in the club. <laughs> and if you don't know Greek dads, straight from Greece, this guy Man, looked at me. He, this guy looked at me. He bit his fist like this. Went, <laughs> he, was, he was like this, and I walked up to him, and I just worked on the fly. I'm like, look, that security reasons. They wouldn't let us out because the band was playing. They didn't want anyone coming in and out with the band's playing for security reasons. Get in the car. Lo and behold, I didn't get in trouble. Great walk and talk. Work on the fly scenario. I'm still impressed to this day. I came up with that bullshit excuse. <laughs> but but I'm a huge hip-hop guy. Huge hip-hop. 80s and 90s hip-hop all the way. Huge heavy heavy hair metal band, heavy metal, same here. I mean, I love all genre of music. So to me, I mean, I love the Ozzy album. I'm a big Ozzy guy. But Ozzy, like you said, Ozzy's like 795 years old. He's like the Yoda of heavy metal. You know, he's not going to... Doctor Who. Yeah, regenerating. He, he's not going to be the same guy in the 80s. You know what I'm saying? He's going with gummy multivitamin bats now as opposed to real bats. <laughs> so it's going to be different because he has to adapt to his time. Yeah. I guess I just expected better, especially knowing that Elton John was going to be on the album. Better. Elton's guest performances on the album. Just to hear Ozzy sing the words, I'll make you defecate. It's like, oh, God. Oh, come on, bro. I loved it. I loved it. Bro. I thought it was very catchy. Well, one song about the aliens. I love that song. Feel it to each their own. You hey, yeah, it. of course. That's awesome. I, of course, bro. I, I couldn't. I couldn't. Look, but my, my young... grudge anybody their taste at all. Oh, no, not at all, bro. My younger brother's into death metal and all this other stuff. And he plays songs when he's picking me up from shows at the airport or whatever. And I'm like, oh, and I have a good friend of mine, Jerry Lynn. <laughs> Jerry Lynn, not to name drop. He's into death metal, too. And you hear him talking in the car. He's like, oh, the nicest guy in the world, Jerry Lynn. And he's avid mark for death metal, you know, and all this stuff. And it's it's you wouldn't expect yeah, yeah, you wouldn't expect it. So, you know, right. it's each their own. Funny story about Jerry Lynn. So my friend Eric Adams, Wayne, yeah. who, as you know, hosts Beyond Bushido on the Rat Style Review Network, he asked me if I could make him a mixtape of death and black metal. At the time, I was at the I was going to school at St. John's. I was in the college radio station. So I had access to, like, you know, all the uh, metal stuff. When did you graduate college? I'm sorry. 2002. Okay. So I made a, a mixtape of like different death metal bands, different black metal bands, and I gave him the cassette. Eric is a student of Johnny Rod's, and he used to help out ECW when they would come to the New York area. He's actually uh, apparently related to Sal as well, Big Sal. Eric Adams? Yeah, Eric Adams is related to Big Sal. Yeah. yeah. Funny story about Big Sal. Big Sal and I grew up in the same neighborhood. Yeah. Rosedale, Queens. Yeah. Mm. So I remember it was the last 
ECW show at the Elks Lodge before they debuted on TNN. And Eric said, hey, I want to do something nice for you. So he brought me backstage. And here I'm hanging out with Balls Mahoney, God rest his soul, Jerry Lynn. I got to say, you know, congratulations to Devon for making it to the WWE. And Jerry Lynn comes up to me and says, by the way, thank you for making me that awesome mixtape. I'm like, what? I made the mixtape for you? He said, yeah, man, you got really great taste. Thanks. I'm like, I made a mixtape for Jerry Lynn. You need, you, if you, if I, you need to get Jerry Lynn on. I'll try to set it up for you. If you guys want to get him on and have a good, good podcast about music, he and Mikey Whipwreck are like music connoisseurs, dude. Especially Jerry. Jerry would be like, remember this song from 1973? Uh, such and such artist. He had one of the best lines in the song. He'll drop the line and you'll be like, what? Really? Okay, sure. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take it over. Jerry, you're never wrong. So, I can yeah, remember man. that. Yeah, hook him up. Hook him up with us. I, I would even love That'd to, like, awesome. you know, talk to, Wayne, uh, you know, talk to him about music directly because when he used to wrestle in ECW, he came out to one of my favorite Fear Factory songs, Scapegoat. Yeah. Every time that came on, I popped. Like, Road Warrior popped. Nice. I, you know? So, I was a huge Jerry Lynn Mark. And still am to this day. That guy's, oh my God. One of the best, criminally underrated, in my opinion, like yourself, Dimitri. One oh, thank thing I you. forgot to mention about Dimitri, the best unsigned talent well no you got to say the greatest unsigned talent that's the tagline because if i'm greatest unsigned because if i say best unsigned talent today then i'm just an ass i'm a butt doesn't b-u-t-t doesn't really flow too well got it i know i'm greek i know i know i'm greek (laughs) but we're staying away from that stereotype you know (laughs) yes we don't comply with that (laughs) No. no 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 that was the romans but anyways any closing thoughts gentlemen wayne you first uh, well, who was everybody's favorite Joker? I mean, what did we get out of this? Again, we're talking live action. Yeah. What we just discussed. Why are we going to add anything else in here? Heath Ledger did it for me. Heath Ledger. GGP. Mm, I'm going to say Heath. For me to make an analogy. To me, Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning is the greatest intercontinental champion of all time. Macho Man, second best by an eyelash. Okay? So for the Joker... Heath Ledger right now, because the wind's blowing a certain direction, is the greatest Joker today for me, with Jack Nicholson and eyelash behind. I'm gonna go Heath. I'm gonna go Heath too. I, even though that uh, Joker movie uh, with Joaquin Phoenix is my favorite, Heath just did. It. Heath made me get back into Batman again. See, the cool thing about Heath, and the one thing I love the most is you're watching it and you don't see Heath. You see the Joker. You see the Joker. Yeah. Watching. Al Pacino do Scarface. You don't see Al Pacino. You see Tony Montana. Even though he didn't get nominated in the movie, bombed in the box office. And a lot of people don't know it's a remake of uh, Al Capone's Scarface from the thir- from, from the 50s, right? Sure, yeah. yeah I, I know my movie things, guy. Don't worry. You're not the only nerd in this group. When you get a character like Johnny Depp, who's allegedly rumored to be the next Joker in the Batman, Johnny Depp, you watch him as Jack Sparrow. You lose. You don't watch Johnny Depp anymore. You watch Jack Sparrow. You know, there's certain times where you watch a certain character and they morph into that character and you just, your disbelief goes out the window. You forget you've seen the actor and you're just looking at the character. 
He did that for me. Joaquin did a great portrayal, but it wasn't the Joker. It was just a guy who was mentally ill. Again, that's just my flavor of ice cream. Jack, in my opinion, played a great Joker. But like we all said in the beginning, it was Jack Nicholson playing Jack Nicholson as the Joker. You know what I'm saying? Jared Leto, there's not enough meat on the bone. And Romero, Romero's always going to be the OG. But again, comparing GPG to like Radar, PG-13 quality, it's kind of hard to compare him because he wasn't blowing up people dressing as nurses and stabbing people. He was just going, or whatever the hell he was doing. So that's my take. One thing to add to what you said about Johnny Depp, he loses himself in every character he plays. Yeah. He is not Johnny Depp playing Johnny Depp in anything. I mean, Edward Scissorhands, I'll always love him as a fan. Not a fan? No, they're not a fan. It's just, it's kind of hard not to lose yourself in that character when you're covered in scissors and makeup and all that, you know, all that stuff. I did love him in Black Mass. You guys seen Black Mass? I did not see that. Oh my God, he got snubbed. He should have been nominated for an Oscar. He played Whitey Bulger, a gangster from Boston. Fantastic film. Fantastic film. Him and the other dude, um, he played Obi-Wan Kenobi. At the end of no, 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 no. I'm not Obi Wan Kenobi. I'm sorry, uh, Lars, Uncle Lars. At the end of Episode Three in the trilogy, when they're having or handing off Baby Luke, I forgot his name. Joel Edgerton. Joel Joel Edgerton plays the cop in that movie. Both of them, fantastic, great movie. Never, didn't get nominated for his role, but I strongly suggest you. He you, you lose him. He that you definitely just same thing in Blow. Well, not even Blow because he kind of still looks like Johnny Depp. But you definitely, he definitely loses himself in that character in that movie. You know, he was great in Blow. I mean, I'm a, I'm a big Johnny Depp fan. I love all his films. I think he's a great actor. He's a very Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I didn't watch that. I refuse to watch that. Tim Burton to me is not a great director. It's too morbid. A lot of his stuff. I did love his '89 Batman. My oh, favorite Tim. I think that's where it ended with me. Yeah. Well, I like Big Fish. I thought Big Fish was a great movie with you and McGregor. So you, you, if you guys want to, it's not morbid at all. It's very heartstringy because it has to deal with family and mortality and all that stuff. It's really cool. But again, all the Tim Burton stuff is very morbid. It's not my cup of tea. So whatever. The best thing about this conversation was the fact that each of us got to have a conversation about it, got to talk about it, and in the end, it doesn't. It's not a matter of who's right or who's wrong. It's an, it's just a matter of, you know, what we think about those interpretations of the character and talking about it and hopefully opening the listeners to a new perspective on how to look at the characters. And I really enjoyed this episode of the podcast. I'm very grateful to both Wayne and Dimitri for helping me out of this. Thank you guys so much. No oh, man, Maybe thanks. Thanks for to come on. Yeah, man, this is, this has been a great time. We're going to wrap it up, but I would like to thank my awesome co-host, Mr. Wayne Noon of Rats Eye Review, and the Greek god himself, Mr. Dimitri Papadon. Guys, any plugs you want to do, please go ahead. Yes, bend over, grab your ankle. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Wrong plugging. <laughs> Leave it to the Greek guy. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> now, I, listen, I threw that softball up there. I was hoping you'd catch it. But anyway, <laughs> well played, Wayne. Well played. Party on, Wayne. Uh, ratsaleview.com find us on YouTube Ratsale Review find us on iTunes just look up Ratsale Review on uh, Google whatever you'll find us on there we're also on Facebook Twitter and Instagram and Lou is on our, our network too Bradley still waiting for the checks yeah, you're never going to see that I know <laughs> Mr. Dimitri please sure any plugs and All right. where can people buy your merch I'll lay it all out right now. Well, it's going to be a show within a show, so bear with me. Bear, <laughs> bear, bear, bear for a while. Another hour of talking. 
<laughs> I have I, look. I have no problem. I'm a ham when it comes to talking and getting myself over. I'll do it. That's why sell your gimmick. Sell your gimmick. That's why it cuts such a great promo. But I digress. So you could find me on Twitter at Greek God Papadon, on Instagram Greek God Papadon, Facebook is Demetrius Papadon. My YouTube page where I have promos and matches Greek God Papadon. Now my pro wrestling tea store. You might say, well, what's that? It's a store online where you can buy professional wrestling t-shirts with my image, my likeness on it, my logos, everything on there I've designed in my head. And either my co-hosts from the NFO, Spiro Antonopoulos, or Alex Arroyo, went on the computer and did their fucking thing on the magic box and came up with the logo And you know, after I told them what to do. It's Pro Wrestling Tees slash, get ready for it, Greek God Papadon. Now, I also do two podcasts. One of them, we've mentioned is a Star Wars podcast. It's called The New Force Order, semicolon, a Star Wars podcast. It's myself, Spiro Santinopoulos, who's also known as Darth Spiridon. He is a photographer slash indie director. And Alex Arroyo, who is an actual doctor. So you have a, a film director, photographer, a doctor, and a pro wrestler. We don't walk into a bar, but we do get we do we do sit down and we do talk about Star Wars every week. You can find the podcast, New Force Order, on the Hameen Media Group. You can find this on Podbean. You can find this on uh, Spotify. You can find this on iHeartRadio, uh, iTunes, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts. We're also on YouTube. The page, please go like the videos, comment, hit the notification bell, subscribe. Is New Force Order. Now, you can also find me, myself, Stevie Richards, Big Sal Graziano, and Ben Hamin, four pro wrestlers, talking shop about conspiracy theories, self-enlightenment, free thought, question and narrative, every Wednesday, 7.15 on Twitch. Uh, Twitch.tv slash Conspiracy Horseman is the, uh, the link. And the show is called The Conspiracy Horseman. So, you can follow us. Uh, same thing, Pro Wrestling Tees slash Ben Hamin slash Stevie Richards slash Big, uh, was it Big? Ordo Munstrom is a uh, sound. Yeah, yeah, it's all, yeah, but he's a uh, Pro Wrestling Tees star. I forgot what his bid. Uh, yeah. BS, BSG, I think Big Sal Graziano. But anyway, give us a listen. Like the way we kind of deep dove into this and the way we spoke tonight with each other, you know, not arguing. But having open discussion, friendly, civil discussion is what we do on the Horseman. Uh, Stevie Ray from Harlem Heat, I think, might be on this week with us. Oh so it should be a good show. We had ECW uh, Angel from the Baldies on last week. Yeah. Um, we've had like guys from different walks of life. We've had uh, uh, John McAfee on the show twice. He's been one of my, my favorite guests on the show. And he shipped back crazy. So, yeah, he's fucking nuts. <laughs> but it's always, it's always a good time. Have you watched uh, his document, that documentary they did on him? It's a hit piece, but yeah. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, but, you know, look, at the end of the day, I want to thank you guys for having me on. And you guys want me to come on again and talk about any topics from movies, music, wrestling, sports, whatever. I'll be more than happy to come on here. I think we have a good chemistry, the three of us together. And we have nice discussions, and I'd love to do it again. So thank you for having me. I really enjoy this, Dimitri. Thank you. Thank you, Wayne. Really appreciate having both of you guys on. Had a great time. Thank you. 
Yeah, thank no you. Problem. I want to thank everybody <laughs> for listening to the Music is Life podcast. Check me out on the Rat Salad Review Network. Wayne, thank you again for being a platform for me to do my podcast on. Much respect to you, my friend. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the show tonight. Really appreciate it. Wish everybody well. Stay safe. Take care of yourselves and your family. And remember, all art is valid. Thank you for listening to the Music is Life podcast brought to you by Anchor.fm and Ratsaw Review. Check out the other shows on Ratsaw Review, including Beyond Bushido, Old Man Metals Musings, The Right Opinion, The Vieira Vault, The Team Otoki Podcast, The BS Sessions with Mark and Jerry, Just the Cheese Please, and The Friday Night Party with the great Harry Barnett and Evie. Graphics by Rocky Baia. For commissions, find them on Twitter at R-O-C-K-Y-B-A-I-A. Intro and outro music for the show is Lose Control by the Rebel Media, written by Jacqueline Guitard, Ernest Leyuk, and Lou Mavs. If you'd like to donate to the channel, please donate to our PayPal at musicislifepodcast at gmail.com. If you're in a band and you want us to review your music, then contact us at Maps at musicislifepodcast.com. Special thanks to Wayne Noon and Greg Noggle. With much love and gratitude to Aaron, Anna, and Aloysius. For more information, check out www.musicislifepodcast.com. And don't forget to check out www.ratsireview.com. Remember, all art is valid. Thanks for listening. Cheers.